This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. It's Fun Friday. My name is Jeff Sandu. When I first saw that today's show had babies in the title, I assumed it had to be a joke. Matt Armitage is not known for being child-friendly. In fact, I'm fairly sure he thinks that they should be farmed or grown in vats, like clean meat. But it would seem he's genuinely worried about the generations still to come. So, Matt, data, babies and trackable humans. What's going on? You sound like one of those local TV anchors in the US. You're doing, you know, a hard-hitting interview. Mrs McGillicutty slipped on ice because no one salted her path. Here to answer our questions is City Representative Jeff Sandu, Councillor... What's going on? I'm practicing for my future US trip. Anyways, it really must be hurting you to devote an entire episode to children. Well, I prefer to think of them as boxed-in adults rather than children, um, in that, you know, you can keep them in a box till they're 18. <laughs> um, I had one of those weird realisations over the weekend. I've been listening to and watching a bunch of anti-vaxxer information over the last couple of weeks, um, to the point where it seems that... Uh, Parents in a lot of places are turning down routine vitamin K injections for for newborns. And, of course, um, as an adjunct to that, we're seeing the return of infectious diseases like measles because fewer kids are being inoculated against them. Uh, This doesn't sound as though it's related to data. But there is a, a weird corollary because at a time when parents are rejecting medical interventions for their kids in increasing numbers uh, and ignoring the science that shows that these interventions actually lead to better health outcomes, despite the concerns people have about data privacy with Facebook, Google and the scores of apps and companies that track our habits and our movements every second of the day, despite all of these facts, Plenty of people are willing to use services that offer them utility in helping them to raise their kids in exchange for a very rich stream of data. What are we talking about when we say data about kids? A lot of parents are very careful about what they post on social media. If kids have social media accounts, they keep them locked down and private. What's going on? I think we should make this a regular theme of the shows. We should we should have like a what's going on section. Um, either that or I think we get Kent Brockman in to, to guest for you from time to time. I think that's a perfect time because I'll be away in a few weeks' time and I can look into getting Kent Brockman as a replacement. If not, he'll be Richard Bradbury. I know, it's pretty much the same either way, right? <laughs> Anyways, where does the data story start? Well, sometimes it starts before conception. And I know that isn't a place that we often go to on uh, MSP. Uh, We're more likely to talk about sex robots or self-replicating AI than human biology. But health tracking apps are an increasingly mundane part of our lives. And I use the term mundane, you know, very deliberately. In the sense of the normalization of technology. Yeah, because, you know, there was a lot of talk about wearables and sleep cycles and all this stuff that our phones do. And for most of us... It's something that we set up when we buy a new phone. Now, I imagine you've set up a lot of health profile stuff on your new Samsung Galaxy (laughs) S10, which we'll be talking about after the break. Um, But then people tend to forget about it once it's all been set up. So you might not be checking the statistics, but that smartwatch is still recording your heart rate. And it's making reasonably accurate guesses at your level of fitness, how much sleep you're getting, and a lot of other information about you. And because we don't go online anymore. Yeah, because we don't go online because we're always online. You know, that process of actually going there doesn't exist anymore. 
Uh, we change our phones and tablets and computers, but um, other than my wife, we never actually turn any of them off. They're mundane because we pay them so little attention. But they're always there and they're listening and they're watching and they're noticing. But how often do our devices send back information to various different servers? I mean, this is actually quite frightening, even even for me. Um, <laughs> when we did the episode a couple of weeks ago about living without the tech companies, well, today is kind of almost the opposite of that. Um, this is about raising people as data streams. And one of the things I didn't cover in that episode uh, was how often Gizmodo's Cash Hill's devices were pinging servers and sending them data packets. Well, I guess most people would just imagine it will be a few times an hour, like the push services that will pull down information from our inboxes and other apps. And I was the same. I didn't really think about it. Mm. But Hill mentioned that her devices tried to contact Facebook servers 15,000 times during that one week that she blocked it. Wow. And remember, she's not using the app, um, so she's pretty sure that those pings are coming from the Facebook trackers that allow people to, to like and share mm. on a lot of web pages. So despite that being a scarily huge number, it is absolutely in insignificant compared to Amazon and its AWS servers. Her devices made an incredible 300,000 attempts to contact AWS servers in the course of one week. Wow. So do you think many people are aware of how frequently our data moves? I don't think so. And certainly you don't think of that data tracking you in real time. Uh, you know it's tracking what you're doing in real time, but you probably think it offloads that information maybe once a mm. week or once a day or a little bit, you know, not so often. But certainly not thousands of times a day and potentially yeah. millions of times a week. And remember, that was the results just for Facebook and AWS's servers. How does this bring us back to conception? Because in a way, we're kind of being groomed, uh, not by any specific company, but by the data industry in general. Giving away our information is something that is every day. It's commonplace. It's boring. It's something that we don't really care about. We go back to that Apple adage, anything we need, there's an app for that. So for a lot of women, they use apps to track things like their periods. But there's been a huge growth over the past couple of years in fertility apps to help women conceive. And some of these apps also extend into tracking the pregnancy itself. Are you saying that the baby is being tracked even before it's born? Yeah, you're actually building this data picture. You're recording your own data on your phone and your wearables, everything from um, your blood pressure readings to ultrasound scans of your uh, soon-to-be-born baby. Google probably knows what your kid will look like when it's born. I mean, And your kid will look like in the age of 70. No, exactly. I mean, you know, I mean, all babies do look the same. But for all we know, Google has an AI that takes photos of the mother and father, compares it to the ultrasound picture, and as you said, can extrapolate what kind of features the baby will have and what it will look like at 10, 15, 20, 30. And the parents-to-be are probably buying a lot of that baby stuff online or with a credit card or using some loyalty payment system, right? Yeah, and that's enough to let companies like Amazon or Google know if they should be targeting you with uh, basic or high-end prenatal vitamins, whether you're more likely to buy a 
Clarence stroller or gorilla tape the baby to an old skateboard and a broom handle. I like you that. Know, yeah, I like that one too. Um, you might even be inputting your birth plan, the hospital, and even details about your doctors. Do you have to Google what kind of doctor delivers babies? I know what an OBGYN is. Thank you very much. <laughs> For the record, during that last question, Matt nodded at me to indicate that he did have to Google baby doctor. Well, if any of you need recommendations for a good lobstertrician, let me know. Did you just say lobstertrician? Who knows? You'll have to rewind to find out. Um, but there is a really good lobstertrician at a seafood restaurant near my house. Anyway, the point is that by the time your baby is born, it already has an enormous data trail. And for many new parents, that trail only continues to grow once you bring the baby home. We're talking about those on-all-the-time monitors. Yeah, and there are even wearables um, that range from socks to other strap-on devices that you can put on the, the baby so you can monitor the heart rate, the temperature, the sleep rate, feeding cycles. Uh, some of the devices even pair with a wearable for the mother and take health data for mm. the mother as well. And a lot of the apps will um, go as far as letting you record how many grams of milk that the baby takes at each feed and how that correlates to it putting on weight and growing. But I'm sure I can actually imagine that all of this would be useful information, right? Sure. And as much utility as these apps have, um, most of them are not marketed as medical or health devices because that's an area that's strictly controlled in most countries. So we shouldn't over-rely on the correlations of the data in the apps that are provided or assume that temperature or heart rate monitors are going to be 100% accurate. Which means that for some parents, there could be both an overshare anxiety and also a formal anxiety at the same time. Yeah, uh, one of the things that uh, most parents to newborns agree on is that they don't have enough time. And while some of these apps are plug and play, a lot of them ask you to manually input stuff like feeding data. So you're adding another level of tasks and pressure to time poor parents because there's that feeling that you're failing that you could be putting your child's health at risk if you don't give this enormous and complete picture of everything they're doing. Mm. Uh, one article I read on this, I think it was The Guardian, likened these apps to raising a human Tamagotchi, um, <laughs> which makes me really glad that I don't have kids because my Tamagotchis rarely made it through their first night on Earth. Gosh. Anyways, after the break, uh, tracking your child to adulthood, it's right here on MSB. Be right back. BFM 89.9. Blues, folk, metal. BFM 89.9 And we're back. My name is Jeff Sandu together with Culture Pop's Matt Armitage. Uh, we're talking about data babies and the first generation of trackable humans on MSP today. Before the break, we were talking about apps and the tech that ask for a lot of information about your new baby. So Matt, should we be worrying about the sharing of this kind of information, sir? Yeah, uh, a lot of the companies in this space will tell you that data is uh, anonymized uh, or for something like streaming video of a baby monitor, it might be ring-fenced on a cloud or stored locally rather than uploaded to a cloud. But bear in mind, you are giving always-on video and audio to a third party. And mm. we know how companies like Amazon use devices like Alexa to help refine your experience across Amazon platforms. So no matter how trustworthy the company is, how committed they are to your family's privacy, 
this is still a treasure chest of information. You are worried about hacking. Well, that's one risk. I mean, a genuine risk because nothing online is 100% secure. But it's also about the nature of data itself. The technology space is a very fast-moving and fluid one. That company that behaves so ethically might not be in business tomorrow morning or it might have been bought over by a bigger player. And we all know that the terms and conditions we agree to with many of these services can be quite complex and quite opaque. So there may not be any reason for the new owner to respect the privacy you previously enjoyed. And once you give data away, there's really no way of getting it back. And when that data is a brand new human being, you know, that's really worth thinking twice about. Anyways, of course, today's show isn't just about the baby part. We're talking about people who can be tracked from the cradle to the grave. Absolutely. Um, You know, I don't want to go into the kind of cause and effect part of things because it's a bit too broad. But the way people are having families today is quite different to how they had them a couple of generations ago. People start families later. We tend not to live quite so close to relatives and we don't have that same kind of strong family network. Uh, those networks are still relatively tight in uh, in places like Malaysia and Southeast Asia. But certainly in the West, people uh, are now the age that their grandparents were when they have kids. You know, it used to be that a baby's grandparents were in their 40s. Now, quite often, it's their parents who are in their 40s. Mm. So that support network is further away and may have age-related health issues of its own. Uh, so parents are much more reliant on technology to help bring their kids up. You mean Google? Well, yeah, a lot of parents use Google and YouTube for tutorials because that's just what people do for everything. Uh, you know, when I want to figure something out, the first thing I check to do if, is if anyone has put up a YouTube explainer. And eight out of ten times, they have, no mm. matter how obscure the thing you want to figure out. <laughs> but the question about whether it's accurate is a completely different conversation. But those Google searches and YouTube videos, um, and I don't know about you, but I get asked to sign into my... Google account on YouTube at least a couple of times a week um, because, you know, they're making sure that you're still you. Uh, It means those companies have a lot of data, both about you as a parent and about the health of your child and its stage of development. And a lot of that information is stuff that you may not think twice about, but has a lot of value to these third parties. But kids aren't in that parents panic, I need help stage forever. Surely the kids will fall off the data grid at some point, right? Well, of course. I mean, at this beginning stage, it's mostly about the parent creating the data trail for their kids. But that does continue to some extent. For example, all those lovely photos that proud parents share to Instagram and Facebook. So those companies know what your kids look like. Uh, those photos are, as we mentioned earlier, helping to train the the AIs that uh, can track what we will look like as we age. But the main data flow is actually from the kids themselves. Apps and tablets? And phones. Um, how many of our listeners have kids below the age of 10 who have their own phones? Uh, you tell yourself it's a necessity, but human children have managed to stay alive without smartphones for millennia. So, yeah, you know, those... Apps that parents sit them in front of are all generating data. Uh, How fast your kids' response times are, how often they get simple language or mathematics problems right or wrong, how effective they are at problem solving. Even those limiters you set for them on YouTube and Netflix, those accounts are directly telegraphing the tastes and habits of your kids. 
and also helping to shape them in terms of the results that are served up to them by the AIs run by those companies. And then there's the education itself. Yeah, I mean, there are loads of online educational services out there. Uh, Khan Academy is one of the most mm, prominent. Mm. And many of these services are also vying to be brought into actual school rooms as learning aids. So that means commercial companies have an actual blueprint of your children's learning and development. And as I said earlier, those companies may operate with the noblest of intent. But what happens if they get swallowed up by one of the giants? Where does that data go? And whose servers will that information be moved to? And then it gets to the point where the kids want to have their own online presence. Of course. And we know there's a generation of kids who are rebelling against the oversharing of their parents. Um, the kids who aren't on Facebook or mm. Instagram, the kids who manage their own networks in private messaging apps. But those kids are not outside the world of data. In fact, they're probably more tightly integrated than their parents. For them, their automatic response is to look for things online or Google it or open an app where their data is logged, mined and tagged back to them. And then there are the e-wallets. Oh, are we heading into conspiracy theory territory? Uh, no, at least I hope not. Um, <laughs> but, you know, when you look at some of the, eating, uh, the leading e-wallet services or you look at what a company like Grab is trying to do, you know, you're curating almost a mini internet within that app. You have retail, food delivery, taxi and transport services. Uh, you can move around. Uh, very often there are games. There are, you know, they're, they're increasingly social network-like in mm. their functionality. They'll even offer things like file and photo sharing. And all of this is tightly linked to who you are and what you spend. So you think that these apps are too wide in scope? No, it's not really about what I think. It's about people knowing what these apps are and what they do and making that informed decision about where they fit into our lives. Uh, and they serve as a, a useful example because everything is so tightly integrated and it's easier to form that mental picture of what they could become. But that's not to say that other tech companies with services that aren't so closely integrated aren't also forming a similar picture of your behavior. Uh, Amazon is increasingly operating in the financial sphere, and there are rumors swirling that Facebook is set to launch its own cryptocurrency in the not-too-distant future. A lot of these companies are getting much more ruthless about channeling you into their ecosystem. In fact, I think there was a story this morning uh, about Facebook pivoting towards mm. privacy, yeah. which everyone is saying, actually, no, they're pivoting towards trapping you in the ecosystem. Yeah, so you've painted a picture of the direction that we're heading in, in terms of data collection and the usage of it. What do you see as the dangers facing this generation? Genuinely, I think freedom of movement, freedom of speech. Uh, at the moment, this data loop is being completed uh, with very few governments in that loop. So it's frightening enough that companies know every tiny detail about your life. Put governments into that mix and they will literally know everything about you. Every place you've been since you were a child, what your political and social views are, what your education level is, and even who you've been hanging out with and who you've been speaking to. How will they know who I've been speaking to? Because of all of those location tracking apps, they know who, who all your friends are, who you speak to online and probably on private messaging. All an algorithm has to do is figure out who in your circle is also at the same place as the same time as you. Not to mention you probably have your digital concierge switched on. So those conversations, even if their content isn't analysed, 
the voice prints might be. So it could potentially be a world without secrets. Well, not a world without secrets, but a world where individuals aren't allowed to have secrets, where everything they say is logged, everything they eat is logged, everywhere they go, everything they do. Mm. And you mentioned a few shows ago that tracking is reaching to such a point that we actually don't need uh, to be implanted or barcoded to be tracked. No, because most of us would rather leave the house without our pants on than leave <laughs> without our smartphone. Mm. Um, when we think about a surveillance state, we think about rooms full of you know, the weird operative scanning monitors and flagging people for follow-up. You know, it's that typical science fiction movie scene. But the reality is we're actually doing all the hard work mm. for them. We're voluntarily uploading all that information to places where machines can analyse it and send it down to the people who are policing us. Couldn't you argue that all these tracking will make us nicer and more law-abiding? Well, I think you only have to watch a few episodes of Black Mirror to see the uh, pitfalls of, of that approach and how boring and fake the world would become mm -hmm. as well. You know, we already complain about the search for virality that has become embedded in many of our Instagram lives. So all of our interactions would be about these very surface and superficial actions. You know, we talk about the threat of automation. It's arguable that we will be acting more like machines than the robots will. All right, to finish off, how likely is that that this will actually happen? Well, in some senses, it already is. You know, we've talked about China's social credit system before. Uh, the idea that you get good citizen points and rewards for being a model citizen. A recent report on that system, uh, again, I think it was in The Guardian, states that around 23 million people have already been barred from buying plane and train tickets. Mm. Uh, there are penalties for antisocial behaviour that can also include being prevented from buying insurance, using public transport or buying property. So, you know, in the same way, I always try to end uh, in pretty much the same way. That might be the kind of society you want. You may see the benefit of being a good data point, in which case, great, fantastic. But if it isn't, figure out how these systems work, how they impact your life, and then you can do something about it. Sheesh, always ending on a high note on a fun Friday. <laughs> Man, Amitesh, they're talking about the rise of trackable humans. Uh, we have a Samsung review coming up next. There's no Geek Scores, but Geek Scores will continue next week. You've been listening to uh, MSP on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.